Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the way that you have been working this weekend so far. We thank you for answering our prayer so far of pouring out your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the many messages that we've heard that you have spoken to us. And I pray that this morning on your Holy Sabbath day that you would continue to speak through the speakers, that your Holy Spirit would be present and that hearts would be touched and lives would be changed this morning for you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. What would you do if a week from tomorrow you woke up only to discover that while you were sleeping, you had been robbed? And I'm not talking about a small robbery. I'm talking about everything that has any type of material value to you is gone. I'm talking your Bible, your computer, your cell phone, even your iPod. Stolen. It's gone. How would you respond to such a situation? What would you do? Perhaps you would, perhaps you would buy some of the basic necessities for life for that, for that day. Go to the store, perhaps, and among other things, like reporting to the local authorities, you would probably buy some local supplies for that day. But say you went to sleep that evening, and you woke up the next day to find out that you had been robbed again. And the next day you fell asleep and woke up to find out that you had been robbed again. What would you do? Well, some people might say, well, I would uh, probably just stop buying stuff so that way when they come again, there will be nothing for them to rob. But that's not what the Bible says we should do. Let's open our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 24. It's a very well-known chapter. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is telling us what we should do in such a situation. Matthew chapter 24, and I want to read verse 43. Matthew 24 and verse 43 says, But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. So the Bible provides a solution to what we are to do. We are supposed to prevent your house from being broken into. The reason I mention this is because today there are thousands of people who live in constant fear that their material possessions will be stolen from them. And so they buy all sorts of safety devices and alarms to put on their cars and on their houses to prevent their material possessions from being taken from them. They want to prevent what is of value to them from being stolen and they want to prevent a great void to be left in its place. And even though thousands of people are paranoid about their, their, their personal material possessions being stolen, there are even more. I would say there are millions who are spiritually blind to the fact that they are being robbed on a daily basis. And instead of their, their homes being robbed, it's their hearts that are being robbed. They're being robbed of a precious gift, a relationship with Jesus. I want to invite you to turn with me now to Exodus chapter 25. Over these morning manna sessions, we've decided to cover the sanctuary message. And so we, we split it up into several, several sections. And before we begin to talk about the sanctuary this morning, I want to read what the purpose is of the sanctuary. Exodus chapter 25, Moses is upon the mountain and he's speaking with God. Moses and God are spending one-on-one -on -one time with each other. They are communing with each other. And in verse 8... God begins to tell Moses a specific instruction. He begins to give Moses 
a command. And in verse 8 it says, God tells Moses, Moses, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. There are two things I want to focus on this morning in this verse. Number one, that is that God wants to spend one-on-one -on -one quality time with you on a daily basis. And number two, God wants to be in the very center of your life. Notice that God did not tell Moses, Moses, let them build me a sanctuary that I may dwell just around the corner from them. Notice God did not tell Moses, Moses, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell just not too far away from them. No, he said, Moses, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. God wants to be in the very center of your life on a daily basis. And we can begin to learn this. But even though God wants us to have this gift, he wants to give us this gift of dwelling with him, a relationship with him, it's more than we could ever realize because John chapter 17 verse 3 says, This is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So the Bible tells us that a relationship with Jesus to know God is actually eternal life. And so Jesus wants to give us this gift. God wants to give us this gift, a relationship with him. And he knows that this relationship with him will lead to eternal life. But there's a problem, you see, because there is a great robber. And he wants to rob us of this gift. And instead of having a relationship with Jesus, the devil is also fighting for primetime access to have real estate in your heart. And the devil is constantly trying to force his way into your heart and to place sin there instead of a relationship with Jesus. Because he knows that if he can get sin in your heart, that will lead to death. So let's turn now to Isaiah chapter 59. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 59. Even though God wants to put this relationship with him in our heart, Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 1 and 2 tells us a problem that we have. A problem that God has. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. So even though Jesus wants to have this relationship with us, he wants to, he wants to put this gift inside of our hearts. He is sometimes being held back by sin that is in our hearts. That prevents him from giving us this gift of a relationship with him. And so God begins to outline. He begins to come up with a, a great solution to this problem. And he calls it the plan of salvation. And he outlines it into the, in, in the sanctuary message. He begins to give us through types and symbols uh, a, a example, a plan of what this plan of salvation is all about in the sanctuary message. And so as we, we learn about the sanctuary message, we can begin to learn about how this is God's plan to remove sin from the heart. And so the sanctuary message is categorized into to three sections in which we have decided to preach the three morning manna sessions. Cosman yesterday spoke about justification, the outer courtyard. This morning I'm going to talk about the holy place of the sanctuary. And tomorrow Eric Nelson will talk about the most holy place of the sanctuary, which in reality is God's solution to the sin problem. It is God's freedom from the three P's of sin. In the outer courtyard, you find freedom from the penalty of sin, justification. And then you move into the holy place and you find freedom from the power of sin. And then in the most holy place, you find freedom from the presence of sin. And so this morning, we're going to look at freedom from the power of sin, the sanctification experience in the holy place of the, most, of, the, of the sanctuary. 
So for those of you who are familiar with the sanctuary, as you enter into the holy place, there are three items of furniture in the holy place. There's the altar of incense, the table of showbread, and the, the golden candlestick. And what we are about to find out is that each of these elements, each of these items of furniture, are a special gift from God. There are three keys that God gives us, three steps to follow, to prevent ourselves from being robbed by the great robber. And so we are about to discover what these things mean. Because God knows if we have each of these keys, if we begin to follow these steps and apply each of these lifestyles, I would say each of these items of furniture in the holy place represent a type of a lifestyle. It represents the better lifestyle. And if we begin to experience these, this lifestyle in our life, it will enable God to work in and through our lives in a powerful way, in a more powerful way than you've ever experienced before. But Satan knows that if we get a hold of these keys, if we begin to spend time with Jesus and follow the, the outline that he's given us in the sanctuary message, that his time will, on earth will not last very much longer. And he knows that it's a war between him and Jesus to, to, to have access to your heart. And so he does whatever he can to prevent you from experiencing this kind of a lifestyle. And he does whatever he can to provide counterfeit keys in their place. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Not because he doesn't want to, but because he can't. Sin is so disgusting to God that he cannot hear us when we, if we regard iniquity in our hearts. And so it's all about the heart this morning. The holy place is all about a heart experience. And so we should begin by talking about the altar of incense, which represents a prayer life. But it does not just represent any average kind of prayer life. It is not just an ordinary prayer life, but it is a very specific kind of prayer life that is outlined in the holy place of the sanctuary. It is not a prayer life that consists wholly of prayers that are, go a little something like, Dear Heavenly Father, please bless this food. Amen. It does not consist of a prayer life that consists of prayers of, Lord, please keep us safe to, as we go to school and as we go to work. Don't get me wrong, those are important prayers, but it is not the kind of prayer life that is outlined in the holy place of the sanctuary. The kind of prayer life that is outlined in the holy place of the sanctuary is a powerful prayer life. I want to read to you from a chapter in Steps to Christ. By the way, if you're taking notes this morning, which I highly encourage you to do, I have some homework to give you because there's not, unfortunately there's not enough time to, to go through everything that, um, that I would like to present this morning. And so... I'm going to give you some homework so you can take home and read if you want to know more about the Holy Place experience. So step one, which is about the altar of incense, a prayer life. Step one is pour your heart out to God in prayer. I want to read to you the, the opening paragraph of the chapter that I'm going to suggest that you read for, for this portion of the message. And that's Steps to Christ chapter 11, which is entitled, The Privilege of Prayer. And the opening paragraph here says, We need also to pour out our hearts to Him. In order to have spiritual life and energy, we must have actual intercourse with our Heavenly Father. Our minds may be drawn out toward Him. We may meditate upon His works, His mercies, His blessings. But this is not... In the fullest sense, communing with Him. In order to commune with God, we must have something to say to Him concerning our actual life. Prayer is the opening of the heart to God as to a friend. 
So we can begin to realize that prayer is so much more than we make it to be sometimes. It's so much more than just asking God for, the, for our wants, but it's, it's about actually pouring our heart out to God and talking to Him about the things that are important in our lives. I'm, when I talk about a heart experience, a heart relationship with Jesus, I'm not talking about a mushy-gushy, feel-good relationship. But I'm talking about the heart experience that is talked about in Proverbs 23.7 that says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so I'm talking about when I say pour your heart out to God, I mean start to talk to God about the things that are important in your life. Whether it is the college test that you are preparing for, or whether it's some family problem that your family is going through, or whether it's that young lady or that young man that you've taken an interest in. Whatever it is that you find your, your mind is thinking about the most, that is on your heart the most, talk to God about that. So that's step number one. Pour out your heart to God in prayer. Moving now from the altar of incense to the table of showbread, we are moving now into a Bible study experience. But once again, this is not just an ordinary Bible study experience. This is a very specific kind of a Bible study experience. It is not the kind of Bible study experience where you just perhaps open your Bible to a certain chapter, read two verses and close it, and say, all right, check, got that done for the day. It's not the kind of Bible study experience where you only read the writings of other authors pre-digested bread from the table. It is not that kind of an experience. But it is the kind of experience where we go to the Word ourselves and we begin to fill our hearts with God's Word. And so as this is the plan that, that God gives us in the holy place, that we pour our hearts out in God, to God in prayer, and it begins to make room for Him to fill our hearts with His Word as we go to the table of showbread. And the amazing thing about it is I've, I've experienced it in my own life. As we pour our hearts out to God and we begin to talk to Him about the things that are important to us, He begins to speak back to us on the very same issues as we begin to study His Word in the morning. In our devotional life, as we pour our hearts out to God, He will fill it up again with His words. You know, the amazing thing about God's Word is it has creative power. And so there's one thing that you can know, one way you can know if your Bible study experience, if your devotional experience in the morning is not what it should be. If, if, if it's not what God wants it to be, you can tell that if, if you are spending time in your devotions and you leave day after day and you're still the same person. Because God's Word has creative power. My Bible says in Genesis that when God speaks, amazing things happen. When God spoke, planets come into existence. God's Word alone has creative power. And so as we read His Word in the morning, that same kind of power can be in our lives and fill our hearts. And this kind of power can change our lives. You know, the, the Bible, studying the Bible is just like shopping in a mall. Did you know that? All the ladies are interested all of a sudden. <laughs> the Bible is just like shopping in a mall. Let me tell you how. When you go into one store in the mall, it's just like opening your Bible to a certain book. And as you browse the shelves in that store in the mall, it's just like reading the different verses in that book or that chapter of the Bible. And some, some young ladies may care to differ with me because I know I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a guy and I shop like a guy. But when I go shopping, I like to get in the store. I know exactly what I want. I just grab what I need, put it in the basket, and I'm out of there. You know, <laughs> I hear a couple amens from the men in this audience. So you know what I'm talking about. This is the kind of shopping that I like to do. And so for me, at least, if I go shopping and I leave the store empty handed, I feel like the whole trip was an utter failure. 
If, if I leave the store and I have nothing to show for it, then I just might as well have not gone shopping. But it's the same way with our religious experience. It's the same way as we study the Word of God. Because I believe many young people are spending time in God's Word, but they're leaving empty-handed. I believe that the holy place experience that's outlined in the table of showbread is so much more than just Bible study. I believe it's actually Bible memorization. Because as we begin to take God's word and put it into our hearts and begin to memorize it, commit it to memory, then we can take it with us as we leave the store. It's just like taking those items off the shelf that are purchased in the blood of Jesus and taking those promises, those Bible promises with us throughout the day to, to help us fight off the devil and his temptations. I want to read you a quote here from Great Controversy, page 600. And this is also from my homework chapter for this section, and that is in chapter 37 of Great Controversy. It's a chapter entitled, The Scriptures a Safeguard. Great Controversy, page 600 says, Temptations often appear irresistible. Notice that key word, appear. Temptations often appear irresistible because... Through neglect of prayer and the study of the Bible, the tempted one cannot readily remember God's promises and meet Satan with the Scripture weapons. So what she's saying is that people who are finding temptation to be, quote-unquote, irresistible in their life, it's because they are not arming themselves with the Scripture weapons in the morning. They're not pouring their heart out to God, leaving room to then fill it up with His promises and store it in the heart, to then have those Scripture weapons to fight the devil throughout the day. But listen to this. The, ne next, the next few lines down in that chapter says, But the teachings of Christ must previously have been stored in the mind in order for the Spirit of God to bring them to our remembrance in the time of peril. And then she quotes Psalms 119, verse 11, which, by the way, I believe is another powerful text. Psalms 119, verse 11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Have you ever looked at that verse and wondered what it means to actually hide God's word in your heart? I have before, and I'm sure there's many things that it can mean. But one thing that I like to think about that it means is that when you hide God's Word in your heart, when you take God's Word and you begin to commit it to memory and take it with you throughout the day, do you know who you're hiding it from? You're hiding it from Satan. You see, because Satan's not prepared for that. And so as you take God's Word in the morning, as, you, as you're done pouring your heart out to God, as you begin to take His Word and fill your heart with His Word and commit His Word to memory, as you then leave your devotional experience and go throughout the day, and as the devil then comes to you, and, and says, hey, buddy, you know that sin that you like to commit? You know that unwholesome website that you like to go to? You know that unwholesome food that you know you shouldn't be eating? Well, it's looking pretty good again today. It's had a, it's had a power in your life for the past two years. Come on, why not another time? You know, you can tell him, Satan, stand back, because today I have a surprise for you. Today, Satan, I've hidden God's, heart, God's word in my heart. And I have a verse for you today, Satan. The same heart that you're trying to force your way into and put sin into today, Satan, it has a big sign on it, and it says, Occupied. Amen. And I want to quote you a verse, Mr. Devil, that I just, I just memorized, I just committed to memory this morning, and it's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And it says, There is no temptation that has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful 
who will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. How do you like that, Mr. Devil? And I've got another one for you. Jude chapter 1, verse 24. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before his glory with exceeding joy. How do you like that, Mr. Satan? And as you begin to tell this to him, he will be unprepared for it. And you will begin to fight him back with the scripture weapons. And you will begin to have victory over the sins in your life. I believe that this is the holy place experience that God wants us to have. You know, because that's, Je- that's how Jesus did it. If you look at Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, how did he respond every time he was tempted? He said, it is written... Do you think Jesus just miraculously had those words? Or was Jesus spending time in prayer? Was Jesus pouring his heart out to God in the morning and then filling it with the word, prepared to fight Satan back with those scripture weapons? So step number one on the altar of incense is pour your heart out to God in prayer. Step number two at the table of showbread is fill your heart up with God's word, his creative and recreative power to change your life. Moving now to the golden candlestick. This represents witnessing. The golden candlestick represents letting your light shine. It means taking that experience that you have in the morning, that, that powerful prayer life that you're beginning to experience, that powerful, that powerful Bible study life that you now have, those scriptures that you're memorizing in your daily experience. Now that you're beginning to experience victory over those sins in your life, now you will become... You will become in contact with with people who are struggling with the same sins that you are beginning to gain the victory over in your life. And you will be able to to tell them the ways that you were able to find the victory through God's word, through Jesus. And I tell you, there's nothing that's more rewarding than helping each other out in our Christian walk. Perhaps you have heard that Bible study is important in in the Christian experience. Perhaps you have heard that a prayer life is important in the Christian experience. But I believe that the golden candlestick witnessing is one of the most neglected parts of the holy place experience. And I believe that Bible study and prayer are just like one leg in our walk with God. And witnessing is just like the other leg. And unfortunately, there are too many Christians this morning. At times, I know myself have been included in this category of people who have more of a Christian hop instead of a Christian walk. Who have more of perhaps a Christian drag than a Christian walk. And friends, we need both of our legs if we're going to run the race and cross the finish line. And so we need a witnessing life as well, being ready and prepared to share that experience that we have with Jesus in the morning, to share the love of God that we, that we gain in our experience with Him in the morning. You know, Ellen White says that prayer is the breath of the soul. So at the altar of incense, you have breath, which is essential to life. And then at the table of showbread, you have bread, which is also essential to life. And then you have the golden candlestick, which is also very essential to our spiritual life. And unfortunately, I think there are too many Christians, at times myself included in this category, who are spiritually hyperventilating and spiritually obese because they're not experiencing the golden candlestick in their lives. They're not exercising that experience off. And until they share, until they share their, that hard experience with others, there's no more room to gain more of an experience with Jesus. And they're missing out on the full experience that God wants them to have with sharing that light with others. 
in the golden candlestick experience. Excuse me, brother. Mm -hmm. Can I say something about the, the, uh, the candle? Sure. That's absolutely right. Yes, God wants us to have the light so we can share it with others. Absolutely. You know, the theme verse for this weekend was chosen from Hebrews 11. And if you look at Hebrews 11, that is the Hall of Faith chapter. And as you read that chapter, you see all these great men in the Bible, all these great men and women. And you know, one of the things that they have in common is they, these are men and women who all made a powerful impact for God in their lifetime. These are men and women who, although sin was prevailing during the time that they lived in, they had a powerful impact in their world. And I know oftentimes I look at these men and these women, and I think, man, I wonder what it was that they had that I don't have. As I read about how Moses led the children of Israel through the, the wilderness. When I read about how Enoch walked with God, it seems that they almost have something that I don't have. And I begin to wonder what it is. But, you know, the Bible is clear about that. I could go throughout Hebrews 11 and, and, and list all the characters, and we could talk about what their secret was, what their key was. But, you know, I believe that the key to their experience was found in the sanctuary, was found in the holy place. How was it that, that Moses and God accomplished so many great things? Well, Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11 actually says that God and Moses, get this, God and Moses, they spoke face to face. It says, as a man speaketh with his friends. So you know what Moses' key was? <laughs> he had a relationship with Jesus. Moses had a relationship with Jesus. He was spending time in prayer, in Bible study, spending time listening to God's word in his life and sharing that with others. And Moses had a powerful impact in the time that he was living in. The Acts of the Apostles as well. It's amazing to see what they did when the Holy Spirit was poured out on them in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. It's such a powerful chapter to read about how thousands were converted on one day. And it's, it's easy to look at that and think, man, I wonder what it took. What did Peter and, 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 and John, what did they have that I don't have? Well, Acts chapter 4 and verse 13 says that Peter and John, get this, it says that when Peter and John... When they saw their boldness, when the people saw the boldness of Peter and John, it says that they marveled and they realized that these men had been with Jesus. Amen. These men, they realized, had a relationship with Jesus. And this relationship through the golden candlestick was oozing out and it was affecting every part of their lives. And it was beginning to have a powerful impact on the people that were around them. You know, over the past couple of weeks, I've had... Several of my friends who have come to me and they've said, Tim, you seem to be, I know you don't have it all together, obviously that's clear, but you seem to be a young man who loves the Lord. You seem to be a young man who wants to do what's right with your life. And I, it's just not the same for me. I just don't have that. And, and, and what is it that you have? Like, is there something you can share with me? And I tell you, if, if someone ever asks you that question, it's the most honoring and humbling thing that you can ever have asked you. But I find it almost amusing. I find it interesting that, that my friends, as they come to me, at least some of them, they almost have this expectation that I'm going to take them into some secret, deep, dark corner of my room, and I'm going to say, shh, don't tell anybody. In fact, I can't even believe I'm telling this to you right now. But the secret 
to having a Christian experience, the secret to having a relationship with God, is this. And I'm going to pull out some crazy thing that they've never seen before in their life out of some secret shelf. And it's just going to have a powerful effect in their life. And it's going to change everything that they know to be true about having a relationship with Jesus. And they're going to think, oh, man, how come I never heard about this before? But there's no such thing except in prayer, in Bible study, and in witnessing. It's the keys that we have to prevent ourselves from being robbed by the great robber of that great gift that Jesus wants to give to us. <laughs> Friends, we need to get back to the basics of just studying the Bible and, and, and praying and witnessing to others. Even though those are so basic, they seem like they're so, it's so elementary. Yet those three elements in the sanctification experience are so powerful. In this generation, they're so radical that if we, if we live up if we, through, through Christ's strength, if we live up to that kind of experience, we will begin to have a powerful impact in our generation. And we will begin to, like Moses and like Daniel and Elijah, we will begin to, to change lives of those who are around us. So in overview, step number one, which is at the altar of incense, Prayer life is pour your heart out to God. And the homework for that is Steps of Christ, chapter 11, entitled The Privilege of Prayer. Step number two at the table of showbread is fill your heart with God's word, his creative and recreative power to transform and change your life. That's reading his word, studying his word, and committing it to memory. And then step number three at the golden candlestick is witnessing. And that's simply don't be selfish. Share the love of Christ with others. And the, the homework for that is, these are chapters that I've personally found powerful in my life, is Christian Service, chapter 1, which is entitled, God's Call to Service. So this morning, I want to give you, in closing, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this message. But before I do, I want to tell you about a commercial that I once saw um, on TV. I don't watch TV anymore. It's been several years since I decided not to. But growing up, I used to watch TV all the time. And uh, that's another sermon to be preached. But I don't watch TV anymore. But you know how every now and then you see these commercials on TV, and there's just something about them that just imprints themselves on your memory, and you'll just never forget them. That's a problem with TV. Sometimes it puts things there that we shouldn't remember. But there's this commercial that I specifically remember seeing on TV, and it was, all it was is this digitally animated character. And all he was doing, his entire existence, was reaching into his wallet, pulling out his money, and throwing it into the trash can. And immediately it grips, grips your interest because you're thinking, what's this guy doing? All, all you can see is this digitally animated character, a trash can, and his wallet. And that's all he's doing. You can tell his entire existence is meaningless. And you're kind of thinking, what's this guy doing? But then as the camera zooms out, you can see that he's not alone. In fact, there's a whole line of people who are doing the exact same thing that he is. Reaching into their wallets, pulling out their money, and throwing it into the trash can. And as the camera continues to zoom out, you can see there's an entire multitude of people who are doing the exact same thing. Their entire existence is meaningless and pointless. But all of a sudden, the camera zooms back into one specific character, and you can see that all of a sudden he has this revelation. And the commercial has no, has no words to it, but they should have asked me to be the narrator, because I can tell you what they were thinking. All of a sudden, this guy that it zooms back in on, he has like this revelation, and you can tell that he's just like awakened. 
And he looks at his wallet, he looks at the trash can, and he's like, you can tell he's thinking, what am I doing? And so he kicks the trash can, he puts his wallet back in his pocket, and he looks around him. And all of a sudden he notices that he's surrounded by people who are just doing the same exact thing that he was wasting their money away into the trash can. And so he goes to the, next, the guy next to him and he begins to shake him. And, and, and that guy also changes color from head to toe. And he looks around him and realizes all the people who are doing the same thing. And so those two, they go and they wake up four. And those four go and wake up eight. And that continues until before you know, before the commercial is over, you, you can see an entire multitude of, of these digitally animated characters who are marching on to victory. You know, I believe it's the same thing in the church this morning. I believe there are young people, myself included, who are beginning to realize that without Christ, without the holy place experience, our entire lives are completely meaningless. Our entire existence on planet Earth has no point, has no purpose. And as we spend time with God in prayer, as we spend time with God in, in His Word, I believe that we will... We will see those around us who are also struggling with the same sins that we are and we will begin to share the love of Christ with others. I believe today that there are thousands of young people who are waking up to this reality, who are waking up to the reality that we are living in the end times and they want to make a difference like Daniel and Moses and Elijah. They want to make a powerful impact in their world. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond this morning in our last few minutes that we have. I want you to consider this message just like that commercial I told you about my personal shaking to you to make sure that you're awake. Perhaps if, as you've listened to this message, you've been sitting there and you've realized that you are in the category of people who have allowed the great robber to rob you of that great gift. And you are in need of a personal relationship with Jesus. Perhaps as you've been sitting there, you've been thinking about a specific sin in your life that you know has, the devil has had a hold on your life for the past weeks, months, maybe even years. But this morning, you want to have the victory over that sin. You want to commit that to God. I want to give you an opportunity to, to bring that to the altar of Jesus this morning. So I want to make a, a, a radical appeal that I'm not expecting anyone to come up for, but praise God if he does. If anyone, if any young man or young woman feels God's call on their heart. Maybe you're sitting there this morning and you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. And you're realizing that you need a relationship with Jesus. So my radical appeal this morning is if you want to commit the rest of your life to the, the holy place experience, if you want to commit the rest of your life to constant daily prayer, daily Bible study, and daily witnessing, then I'm going to invite you to stand and come forward this morning. Who knows where God may lead you throughout your life? God may lead you to become a Bible worker. God may lead you to become a mechanic or a doctor. Wherever God may lead you, if you have the holy place experience, may you be a powerful Bible worker. May you be a doctor of God. Wherever God leads you, it's my prayer that if you have the holy place experience, that you will begin to impact lives and change others for Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, only you know the, the thoughts that are, are going on in the hearts of each of those who have come forward this morning. Only you know the things that are our struggles and challenges in each of our lives. 
Perhaps there's someone who's come forward this morning, Lord, who has a specific sin in their life that they know has been holding them back from having that full Christian experience that you want them to have. And we just want to lay that before your altar this morning and leave that here with you. Here at the Western Youth Conference 2008, we want to leave that at your feet. We want to seal our commitment, Lord, to be Christians of your word, to be Christians of the holy place of experience with a solid and consistent daily Bible study, prayer life, and witnessing life. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open, that your, your word would, it would fill our hearts, that a relationship with you would, would fill our hearts as we commit to a lifestyle of scripture memorization, as we commit to a lifestyle of constant word study, of constant Bible study and prayer, of constant witnessing on a daily basis. I pray that, that you would give us the power to live this kind of a lifestyle and that you would live through us and that those around us may, may see your character through us and that they would be changed. We thank you so much, Lord, for answering this prayer. We pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen.